Welcome to the Path to Fall podcast. This is episode number 32. I'm here with Del Dressel. Del was a teammate of my dad's back in the 80s at Johns Hopkins, and uh, they had a very successful year in 84. So maybe we can, Del, start talking about 84 championship team at, at Hopkins and maybe some of your memories from from playing with my dad back in the day. Well, I'd like to get started with that, Jake. And uh, before I do, uh, I want to say thank you for this opportunity um, to come back to my alma mater here at Gilman, class of 81. It's been a while since I've been down in this building here right now. It brings back some good memories. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great to be here. You know, I, I do want to start off with a little disclaimer, though, is that... Uh, I don't know. Tonight, as I'm, I'm getting a little older here, I find that when I talk about some positive memories, I, I get a little teary-eyed, and sometimes it's probably going to happen tonight. And uh, I got a nine-year-old son, and uh, he's he's still trying to figure it out. It's you know he's often like, "Hey, mom, you know, <laughs> dad's crying again." You know, he's watching a music video, and it's not even that sad. <laughs> and, you know, and I, Try to explain to him that it is, you know, that it's okay to uh, sometimes cry when you're you're having some uh, happy thoughts, not just sad thoughts. And uh, of course, he's like, "Dad, that makes no sense. You know, you're making me uncomfortable. Stop crying." So, with that said, um, I'm going to talk about some happy times tonight. And uh, you know, maybe I won't cry, but if I do, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, totally, let let it out. Yeah, yeah I'll let it out. A little nervous being here. Uh, be honest, it's, it's it's a little difficult for me to talk about myself, especially because um, there's been some successes that I've I've been part of, like um, for sure these lacrosse championships, and um, you know as I, I talk about what my teammates and I did, yeah, it's a little, and I'm not used to it. It's been years since I talked about some of these things. Yeah. Um, but in any event, what would you we're going we going to talk about Hopkins lacrosse? Is that what we're talking about to start? Yeah, let's start out with Hopkins lacrosse and maybe um, your time. Maybe in '84, I've seen they have like the full games on on YouTube now. You can kind of watch some of the replays from those championships '84 and '85. And I was telling you before we came in, we were talking about my dad. Um, I guess you were you were there too, right? 81, 82, 83 were losses in the national championship. And finally in 84, you guys got a, a victory against Syracuse. Um, so maybe we can talk about the year 84, 1984, playing lacrosse at, at Hopkins and what what that was like for you. All right. That's, that's good. Um, <clears throat> your dad, your dad, you know, Peter Scott, Flea. Great guy, love him. We're 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 good friends, and he was first team All American, and um, he had gone 0 for three. He was part of that senior class that had not won a championship, and uh, that was right around. Um, I guess Hopkins had won 78, 79, and 80, and then North Carolina came onto the scene and won in 1981 and 82. So your father was part of those losses, and of course, my freshman year, 83, we lost to Syracuse. That was uh, the first year where Syracuse had come onto the scene, um, I believe since the great Jim Brown had played in the late 1950s. Hmm. Could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure. 
Uh, but in any event, yeah, um, Hopkins had, had had lost three, and uh, one of them was you know my freshman year '83. Um, but in '84, the senior class, your your, your dad and Dickie Glancy and a, n- a number of other people that come to my mind, um, you know, really wanted it, really wanted it, and uh, it, uh, we went undefeated that year, and. Um, we wound up beating Syracuse, avenging our loss the year before, and uh, that was up at Delaware. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I have fond memories of that. Sure. Yeah, we're uh, on the podcast. One of the things I'm doing is doing like special topics sessions for 30, 40 minutes with certain people on specific areas of interest. And this week we recorded an episode with Coach Nostrand here on building championship teams, and we were talking a little bit about what goes into the culture of a championship team, especially an undefeated team like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe 84 undefeated season, the seniors really wanted it. What about your team made you guys so successful? Was there a certain tone set by the seniors that year or was there's a different feeling that year since they hadn't won 81 82 83 mm. that that's set your team apart i mean undefeated season is so hard to come by mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes i'm getting goose pimples here thinking about back um about that that year Hopkins on the season is a 36% effectiveness. Yeah, 36% effectiveness in this extra man play. Saved by Nims on the attempt by Dell Dressel. Dressel fights to keep it alive and puts it in from an incredible falling angle. Dell Dressel, his 27th of the season, and Hopkins is back up on top. 11. Dressel with 40 seconds to go. Double team keeps possession. Dressel, angle key, shot, go. Tense and purposes, that is the game. With 32 seconds to play. 23 seconds. There's Ciccaroni. To Eric Dressel. In front, the shot over the top by Ciccaroni with seven seconds. Five seconds as the ball remains on the field of play. And that's it. It was nice. Uh, now, of, of course, back we, we've got to start with back in the early '80s. There really wasn't as many great lacrosse teams out there as there is now. Um, you know, now there's so many great teams that the talent is is, is spread out all over the country. Um, there were a handful of teams, maybe a little bit more, that got most of the talent. And Hopkins, we had a lot. So, yeah, on that team, we, we, we had some big-name players. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so to start with, we had talent. And um, we had that edge uh, that the senior class had been 0 for 3, and they wanted it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we were a classy team, good guys, nice guys. When I think back, you know, we loved one another. We all got along, and and um, we just 
nice quality people. You know, mm -hmm. don't feel bad saying that. We, we were just good guys, yeah. and uh, we wanted it. And right from the beginning, uh, we had a great senior class leadership. You know, Willie Odenthal was the captain. Your dad, Peter, and Dickie Glancy, and there was a number of other seniors. There were probably about six of them, seven of them. I'm not going to name them all, mm -hmm. but um, they led. They they were good leaders. Mm -hmm. And um, um, right from the beginning, we um, had a saying, nobody, nobody, uh, nobody messes with us, mm -hmm. or uh, something similar to that, um, you know. That was our saying, nobody. And um, it just was um, that word. Yeah, you know, before that. the games, I love yeah, that. Before the games, we would get there and we would just get in and go nobody, <laughs> and, and 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 you know we won and then we won and we were winning and nobody was beating us. And what we had was a tremendous loss the year before to Syracuse. Right. So if I if you recall what I said a couple of minutes ago, 1983. So we got to back up. Hopkins had won 77, seven, excuse me, 78, 79, 80. They were going for four. I say they because that wasn't me. Going for four. Carolina came onto the scene. And Carolina won 1981 and 82. So the following year, my freshman year, we wanted to beat Carolina. And we had never heard, well, never heard of Syracuse, but Syracuse hadn't been on the scene yet. Mm -hmm. But we wanted to beat Carolina. That's who we were thinking about. And fortunately, we beat them in the semifinals. But then there was this team called Syracuse. They had been up north, and they were winning big. And we were concentrating on Carolina. And uh, <clears throat> we went into the game up there at Rutgers Stadium. And we were beating, uh, we were beating Syracuse thirteen to five. We got way up on them. Hmm. We got way up on them, and uh, that was the beginning where the nation saw the Syracuse onslaught, where they can score, score, score immediately a lot. Mm -hmm. And we wound up losing seventeen to sixteen. Waiting now for the all-important face-off, Hopkins must gain possession. That was Timmy Nelson's sixth assist. Still no possession. Davidson flips it back in, into Holman. Holman had a lot of pressure. Looks upfield. Here comes Hopkins on out. Over to Dressel. He's open. He can shoot. Dressel with a sensational move, came back left-handed, and now you see it, 50 seconds remaining in this game. Hopkins down by one, and Coach Henry Ciccaroni takes a timeout. Dressel with a great move, rolled back left-handed, and he beats Travis Solomon to the inside. So with the score, Syracuse 17, Johns Hopkins 16. And it was a tough loss. Um, I remember... Uh, 
sitting next to your father on the bus back, and uh, you know, everyone was bumming out. But in any event, with that said, losing you know, the disappointment that year. Everybody wanted to beat Carolina. We beat Carolina, and then all of a sudden to lose to Syracuse was tough. Especially in a comeback like that, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's it was devastating. Tough. So the next year, with you, with your dad being a senior, um, we wanted to win, and we wanted to beat Syracuse, and that's who we met in the finals, and we were undefeated going into that game, and nobody beat us that year. That was the slogan for the year, nobody. Yeah, nobody, nobody. Yeah. The next year was total, total, total domination. And that was in 85, but maybe we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But, yeah, nobody is what we said. We had the T-shirts. You know, back then it was pretty cool, too, because you didn't have the final four weekend where you would <clears throat> play on Saturday and Memorial Day. I believe there was only eight teams that made it to the playoffs. And um, the quarterfinals were on a Wednesday, and then Saturday was the semis. And then you had a whole week to prepare for the big game. And... Um, you know, we at, we at Hopkins were really preparing for Syracuse, and uh, we had T-shirts made, and, you know, we, we were ready. We mm -hmm. were ready for that game. It's interesting how Syracuse, quote-unquote, came out of nowhere when there were so few teams back then who were really good, like Carolina, Hopkins, Maryland, Syracuse. There's only kind of a handful of teams where now it's like there are countless. Like the top 20... Teams outside of the top 20 now have just as high of a shot of, of winning anything now because it's so competitive. Um, but it's interesting how you guys weren't even really, in 83, weren't even really thinking much about Syracuse. They kind of just came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And you were more maybe more focused on North Carolina that year because the the previous years, in mm -hmm. 81, 82, right? Because that, that's when Carolina was really good in, in those two years. Absolutely. And, you know, as I'm sitting here saying, um, you know, maybe somewhere in, in the United States, if somebody's watching this as Syracuse fans, like, what do you mean we weren't somebody? You know, we, we were doing this and that. But, um, um, yeah, if you look back, I believe 1972, might have been 1971, that was when you first started to have the NCAA championship as we know it now. And mm -hmm. certainly it was Cornell and Virginia and Maryland. And, yeah, Syracuse wasn't on the scene yet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and they, you they, were, when in 84, right, you were only a sophomore. You would just – you. You came in in '83. Was the year that you came to Hopkins? Well, it was I, I was a, a sophomore with freshman standing in '83. When I left Gilman in 1981, I actually went to Harvard for a semester, and I was going to go up there. And um, there's a backstory as to why I picked there, but I got up there, and and, and I, I sort of knew within the first couple months that wasn't right for me. Um, Stuff talking about that because uh, looking back, yeah, I disappointed some people. I went up to Harvard and and, and Coach Bob Scalise and, and and Scotty Anderson. They were they were some good dudes up there at Harvard. And the captain of the team was Mike Davis. He actually played here football lacrosse. I, I played with him in high school. As a freshman, he was a senior, but in any event, went up to Harvard, and um, it, it just wasn't right. And uh, I remember sitting up there and saying to myself, you know, I'll never play in a Hopkins Maryland lacrosse game and you know I wound up 
getting on the phone, calling my dad. In any event, transferred to Hopkins in the spring of 82. So I was technically a freshman in 82, but I didn't play. I was fortunate to have a year of playing lacrosse over at the Mount Washington Club lacrosse team, mm -hmm. which, which helped me out, get a little something going before my freshman year, which was my sophomore year in 83. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, sounds like lacrosse has always been part of your life, like even, you know, from from Gilman to Hopkins to after that. Who who introduced you to lacrosse? How did you get involved playing lacrosse? Um. And did you play <laughs> play some other sports too grow, growing up and at Gilman? I did, but, um, you know, I went to McDonough for eight years before I transferred to Gilman. And uh, I think I might have mentioned that to you before. Um, and uh, I was at McDonough for eight years. I was out there for the first two years, was military. Then we did the civilian. And I was there for two years when they, when they let the, the young ladies in. Mm -hmm. And after the eighth grade, I transferred here. But um, I was riding the school bus. And back then, I was on bus number 11 for eight years. And... Uh, first second grade I can't remember exactly which grade but I'm um, riding the school bus with all the older boys and they all had these lacrosse sticks so uh, I said to my uh, this was before SDX before the plastic ones had come out so I said to my my mom and dad I want a lacrosse stick and so my mom she being the great mom she is she went over to Triangle Sporting Goods which is Towson Plaza it's now not Towson Plaza, but it was a strip mall then. So we went to Triangles, and she bought me a wooden stick. So I got on the bus the next day, and I'm hanging out, and um, somebody says, hey, you know, you got a girl's stick. I'm like, what? He goes, see how skinny that handle is? And, and you know, of, of, of course, I was humiliated. I went home. <laughs> I was like, this is not working. Dad took me over to Back Rack Raisins. And we went in there, and I remember there's some wooden sticks, and then they had this funny-looking stick up on the wall. It was butterscotch. It was plastic. And my dad's like, do you want to get one of those sticks? I was like, heck no. They'll really tease me if I get one of those things. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, that was the beginning of STX. And within a couple months, you know, all the dudes on the, uh, on the bus had, had them. And I bought a yellow one, a yellow 73 head purple shooting strings <laughs> I, me I remember like I wish I had that stick and it, it, I just took to it um, this would have you know, tried to figure it out like second third fourth grade I know I, I know I was playing back then but fifth grade at McDonough was when I really really went for it and uh, I, mean, I could talk for the next 10 minutes 20 minutes about my experience as a little kid over there I just fell in love with it started stringing sticks yeah, the whole the whole deal. The whole deal over, did, over there. And did you play? So a lot of what we've talked about on the podcast before, and conversations really at Gilman, it are how influential other sports are to playing lacrosse. And I totally agree with that philosophy. Like how important it is to play basketball and football and some other sports. And growing up, what other sports did you play that maybe influenced your love for lacrosse or? Mm -hmm. um, enhanced your ability on the lacrosse field mm -hmm. well i want to be careful not to talk too much about mcdonough here tonight because this is gilman and i and i transferred here and and uh, you know i want to talk about that um but you know over there i, I, I was i was very fortunate and we we had athletics you know, every day 
Mm-hmm. You know, you, you would go. And over there, I experienced swimming. I, exp- I learned how to wrestle. The only thing I didn't do over there that I could have done was ride horses. Um, some people did, but, you know, you would, didn't do that. But uh, wrestling, basketball, football, we'd play soccer. I did, you know, I did all that. And, and, and first through fourth grade was experiencing all of that. And uh, then in the middle school, we had different seasons, and, and, and um, I didn't do everything. Back then, you would sort of pick in the middle school what you would do for the winter. You would have to pick swimming. You would pick wrestling. You would pick um, basketball. So I narrowed it down. But uh, my big sports in, in, in middle school, basketball, mm-hmm. basketball. Never learned to dribble, though. I was the guy who was tall, taller, so they would make me the shooting forward. So, and, and they would, you know, I never learned how to dribble. So, yeah. uh, you know, when I got here years later at Gilman and Mr. Bristow was the basketball coach, I never, I never, I never went for basketball. I should have learned to dribble when I was a kid. But um, <laughs> football, I was a football player. And uh, uh, fifth and sixth grade at McDonough, we'd play Calvert. We'd play Calvert, which is a big feeder school for, for Gilman. And uh, uh, football, lacrosse, basketball. That's what I did in the middle school. Yeah. Played baseball for a year, ninth and, nine and ten out there in the community. But once I... Once you had lacrosse stick, no it, need. It just, yes, that's, that's what happened. Yeah. Well, I, I would agree with you or i i understand your position in basketball i couldn't i can't really shoot much either they always put me down low tall right mm-hmm. um couldn't dribble that well but i think basketball influenced my lacrosse a lot because it's it's the same movements and i was saying mm-hmm. today like I, I think learning how to cut move off ball is influenced a lot from playing basketball and and like working inside and moving on in the paint and uh it's the same pick and roll action, same kind of movements in basketball that, that I think translates really well in the lacrosse field for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure you feel the same way about maybe playing football and some of the other sports you you played growing up that influenced your lacrosse game. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well said. Yeah. What was it like? Um, <clears throat> Kind of your freshman, so, or maybe we can talk about your transfer from McDonough to Gilman. What what led you to make that leap from McDonough, the rival school? We've had a couple people in here who are McDonough uh, alumni, and, um, and they were talking about the same thing because now they they work here, they coach and teach here, and that's one of the questions I asked them. I was like, "What? Why did you guys decide to leave your alma mater in McDonough and come over to Gilman?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long story, but actually, it's 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 uh, something that I can explain quickly. Okay. But I'll take my time. <laughs> take your time. We have all night here. It was a big. It was a big part of my life. Now I I'd been to McDonough and and, and I really was enjoying it, and uh, you know my eighth grade I was president of the uh, middle school I was a successful athlete Um, in the eighth grade I had practiced lacrosse over the spring break with the varsity and I was pretty good in lacrosse and um, fifth sixth seventh and eighth grade 
I was way into lacrosse. Mm-hmm. And I was the ball boy and, and saw many a good team come to McDonough to play us. And uh, back then it was the MSA, the Maryland Scholastic Association. And there was Calvert Hall, Loyola, Boys Latin, St. Paul's, Gilman, and McDonough. And, uh, you know, I might be fact-checked here, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that for those, for those five years that McDonough did not win a game. This mm-hmm. was, you know, this was in the 70s, late 70s, early, mid-70s. So I was watching, and, um, and we would play Calvert Hall twice, once at our house, once at their house. We'd play St. Paul's. We'd play everybody two times, 10 games, and McDonough was always 0 for 10. Mm. So, yeah, I really wasn't putting it together all those years that I wanted to leave McDonough. And I was happy at McDonough. There's good people out there, good friends. And um, it was coming to the uh, award night, um, I guess May, June, whatever, late after the week right after school ended. <clears throat> there was a, a award night was coming up, and... Uh, I knew that I was up for a couple awards. Um, I wound up getting a, a big award, the all-around boy, forty percent um, leadership, thirty percent scholarship, thirty percent athletics. It was a good award. So I certainly, um, knowing that was coming up, I, I really wasn't trying to uh, leave prior to award night. <laughs> but. Um, that happened that night, and uh, we wound up, I'm pretty sure, we, were, we went to Friendly's Ice Cream up in Towson, and my mom and my dad were there, and we, we just, had, you know, had, had a moment where we were like, you know, it's been eight good years, you know, lacrosse is your love, and um, what do we want to do, mm-hmm. you know, and do you know? Do you want to stay at, at at McDonough? And of course, you know this was June, and we hadn't applied anywhere. So uh, <clears throat> I was like, maybe maybe we should go somewhere else. Thought about St. Paul's. My brothers were at St. Paul's. That was pretty cool, but I didn't want to go there. My brothers went there, and then all of a sudden, I, I don't know who said it. Like my mom, my dad, me. Like, what about Gilman? I wow. Gilman, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a cool school. Right. They've been our rivals for years, good lacrosse. So I'm pretty sure it was the next day. It wasn't that night because we were still at Friendly's. And You're having a good night. You're enjoying good. the prize that yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, enjoying, <laughs> enjoying the prize. <clears throat> but the next morning, we called a guy named uh, Harry Ford, Mac Ford, um, Class 81 with me, great lacrosse player, good friend, went to North Carolina. But in any event, Mac and I and the Fords, we had known one another at a place called Sherwood Forest down in Annapolis, summer home. But we knew that Mac went to Gilman. And uh, the next day, my mom and dad, somebody, called Harry Ford and said, you know, Dell's interested in going to uh, Gilman. Well, Mr. Ford was like, well, I know Reddy Finney, or Mr. Finney. I call him Mr. Finney. Um, I'm going to call Mr. Finney right now. Well, um, I don't know. It was probably the next day. It was pretty soon. I was driving up into, uh, out in front of Cary Hall, 
and uh, there came Mr. Fanny out to see me, and I'm pretty sure he had his green khaki suit on, and he came out, and that's where I met the man, and uh, next thing you know, I'm, I'm going to Gilman. Awesome, awesome story. Yeah. It started at Friendly's, a little conversation, and it's like, if you want to play lacrosse, if you want to go to a really good academic <clears throat> school, you go to Gilman. Yes. Yeah. I was um, very fortunate. Yeah. Um, so the the reason I named the podcast Path to Follow is mm-hmm. because the, there was a documentary about Reddy Finney that came out a couple of years ago, and it's it's called Path to Follow, and it's about his life and his influence on Gilman and on everyone who came to Gilman. What, what do you remember, other than the, the green suit and meeting him that first time, what was it like going to school with, with him as the leader and, and maybe – any memories come to mind with with Reddy Finney? Many, many, many memories. My last time I saw him was a number of years ago, I guess before he passed, was out, out, out at an airport, down BWI, and there he was. He came up and we talked. Um, <clears throat> great man. Um, I have a number of memories, but the, the one would have to be that first day. Mm-hmm. And there's my mom, my dad, and me, and this, this gentleman comes up and, and immediately you just feel his power and his gentleness. You know, this might be one of those times where I get a little teary-eyed. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, like, uh, uh, he comes up and uh, within, like, the first 10 minutes of, like, seeing the guy and being with him, you can feel his energy, you feel his sincerity, He's asking questions. He's looking you in the eye. He's a, a gentleman. And at the same time that he's doing this, he is scanning a 10-yard circumference looking for any piece of trash that happens to be on the ground. And he can talk to you, answer your questions, look you in the eye, pick up the trash, put it in his pocket, and apologize for that trash being there all in the same motion. It was just great. Oh my God! He's like a special guy. I remember um, wrestling matches. You know, we, you'd be in, in or football, but I was playing. But you, the wrestling matches, you know, you'd be there, and Mr. Finney would be watching. And you know, he was a great wrestler, and he had a lot of energy. But the joke was, you don't want to sit next to Mr. Finney during a wrestling match because he, you know, he 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 he, he was mo- he was moving the whole time. And uh, that was great. And of course, when you started the cheers and the chants, if they remotely started to get a little distasteful or whatever, it would be it, it would be like you know the chants were going, and Mr. Finney, he would turn and look. There would be a hush. Everybody, <laughs> total respect, you know. Um, we had a lot of teachers here, and we had respect for you know the, the teachers. Um, <clears throat> but you'd you would joke about some or tease some and all. But Mr. Finney, no, nobody, no, nobody had any anything but total respect for the man. And um, you know, those are those are two memories. Yeah, he always used to have. Um, Finney's memories about each senior and uh, mine was Dressel's athletic prowess so that meant a lot to me and that Mr. Finney thought of me as as 
That's pretty that, cool. That's how he remembered me. Um, but I'm sure I could find other memories of Mr. Finney, but um, those are those are two big ones. But he knew everyone's name. He knew what everyone was involved with. He knew he could greet you by by name at any time. Every student, every parent. That's that's some of um, the memories that I've heard too. In addition to the the wrestling matches and oh, absolutely. Yeah. He, he knew everybody's name. Yeah. Um, when you when you first came to Gilman, did you? immediately make an impact and start playing on the lacrosse team or um, what was it like kind of jumping into athletics here at Gilman after your transition from McDonough like did you you know pick up with the varsity team right away because Gilman was so Mm -hmm. strong in lacrosse and athletics in in those days and how did you Mm -hmm. in your transition start to make an impact here on the lacrosse field specifically? Mm-hmm. When I got here in my freshman year, you know, I uh, had heard that there was this guy named Jimmy Wilkerson, and he was a junior on the team. And Wilkie's one of the greatest athletes I've ever met. He's a nice guy, and I think his son, one of his children, comes here. Yep. Wil- Wilkie. Yeah. Yep. And and Wilkerson, I met, saw him, and he had started. Uh, on the on the varsity lacrosse team as a freshman and i'm pretty sure he started as a freshman on the football team i'm pretty sure he did but in any event when i got here you know everybody knew jim wilkerson and and i certainly had known that he started on the varsity lacrosse so you know in the back of my mind i I wasn't you know sure that i was going to be the next freshman but i saw that it was obtainable Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you would ask me a little later, like, who are some of the more influential people here at Gilman? Dave Allen. Dave Allen is going to be one of the people that I bring up. Mr. Allen was, was, was the coach of the varsity lacrosse team. So in any event, I, I can't say that I had had any conversations with Coach Allen or anything. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe he had heard that I was good at McDonough. I don't know. Maybe, who knows what he had heard, but just went out like everybody else did in, in, in the spring. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they were making cuts, making cuts, and I wasn't getting cut. And the next thing you know is I'm on the varsity. And uh, I started. Uh, we had Mike Davis. He was senior, Chunky Davis. He was captain of the football team. And he was... Um, <clears throat> the one who went up to, to Harvard um, and he was about five foot two and then we had Todd Parker who was probably about five foot six and then we had Del Dressel who was six foot tall and you know it was pretty cool because people would hear you know that this freshman was starting on the Gilman's team and they would from what I hear they'd be saying well which one is he they'd be like you know he's the big guy in the middle and uh, things just Took off from there. I remember my first game. I know Caesar's sitting here. We, we talk a little bit about Calvert Hall. Um, <laughs> talk a little bit about Calvert Hall. Um, we started out that year um, with the St. Mary's tournament. And we went down and we played Boys Latin. And that was the only loss we had that year. I, I, I checked my sign to shore before I came in here. And, and, and actually, we lost 6-5. to five. 
but then I think we um, we played Roxeter. That's not a school anymore, but that was down there. But anyway, we played those two, and then we came back for the first MSA game, and that was a big deal. We played Calvert Hall over here. That was my first home game here. Mm. It was a big deal. Um, we won six to five. But it took me a little while to get going. I, I was on the team, um, but as the season went along, you know, I did pretty good. I, I did pretty good, and I think I contributed a lot. Number of games, I had some big games, and uh, we wound up winning the championship. Played over at Towson, well, UMBC. We played over at UMBC, and uh, other than that first loss that we had in the beginning, um, we went undefeated, and we wound up winning championship. And uh, this is all this is all your freshman year. year. I mean, that's a freshman pretty year. uh, pretty Big strong year. start to your Gilman career, right there. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't be any better for you. It sounds like he's transferred. You started on the team. You're the six-foot midfielder up and down. You're contributing, and you're champions. Yeah, well, be, yes, it couldn't have been any better. I mean, maybe a little better. So we're out there playing against UMBC, right? And we're winning. And I'm pretty sure I know I had two goals, and I had one assist. And we're going in, and we are up. Ten to nine. Who is this against? Sir? Against BL. Oh, BL. Yeah, yep. they had beaten us in the beginning of the season by a goal. We beat them over at their house, and now we're playing them in the championship. Mm-hmm. And we're out there, and I remember well. We were up by a goal, and Coach Allen and Chip Tompkins, he was the coach. We had it that um, you weren't supposed to shoot unless you had a wide open goal. Mm-hmm. You know, they put the clamp down. It's like, you know, don't shoot. It's up 10 to 9. Don't shoot unless there's a wide open goal. At least that's how I remember it. So I remember it was about a minute and 30 seconds. I'm standing on the crease. I don't know. They're running around trying to get the ball. Somehow it's thrown to me. I turn. I shot the ball right in John Mutchler's stick. They call timeout. The next thing you know, they pass the ball down. And Chris Ludford, with one minute, cranks his fourth goal, upper left corner. They tied it. So I was feeling a little small at the time because I blew it. Goes there. And I remember it well. We were standing on the sideline. And, and Mr. Allen, love him. But you know, he gets when he gets intense. He's got this real high-pitched voice. <laughs> and I remember after Ludford cranks that goal, Dave's looking, Mr. Allen, Dave's looking at, at Tompkins, and he's like, "I need a midfielder. I need a midfielder." And Tompkins is like, "Well, Dressel's here." He goes, "I said a midfielder." <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I felt like Fred Flintstone um, when Mr. Slate yells at him. I was like shrinking. I don't know if everyone in the audience remember that analogy, but, you know, I felt a little humiliated. But we're asking how it could have been a little better. So in overtime, um, Wilkerson got the ball, threw it to me. I could have scored the game winner, and it would have been really cool. But I was not going to shoot it again after I blew that up one shot. So I passed it to Chunky Davis. He made a shot. We won. Oh. So I got the win and assist. Yeah. But it could have been a little better if I would have like won the game. 
Yeah. But I'm happy with the way things went. You won the game. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, if you lost the game and you shot the ball, that would have been a lot worse. Yeah, that would have been bad. (laughs) That would have been bad. Yeah. Okay. That would have been more like... So that was just a a little blip in your your freshman year. Mm Mm-hmm. But you you remember all the details pretty well. I mean, I, I do. I mean, yeah, yeah, I've definitely done that before. Though shoot yeah. it, shoot it when you're up. If you're on the crease, it's hard not to. You're right in front. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, we, we maybe we'll get to my last game at Hopkins and talk about that because you know I had another bad experience with that. But in name, let's not talk about that right now. Let's, okay. let's get back to something positive. Well, yeah, let's, let's get back to <laughs> to Gilman. So that was your freshman year, right? What what happens? After that, at, at Gilman as an athlete playing playing sports here, sophomore year maybe we can we can talk about or junior senior year whichever year is maybe most memorable for you. Sure, sure. Um, well, let's, let's let's get the winter sports out of the way. Uh, you know, I came in in, in um, as a freshman. I attempted to wrestle for about a week and a half. Mm-hmm. with Mr. Brown and, and over there. Um, that was not for me. It was pretty cool for other people wrestling, but I, I didn't take to it well. So uh, I, I wound up playing JV basketball for a year. And uh, once the those next three years, I took what's called winter lacrosse. Um, but in the uh, fall, when I transferred here I had actually broken my foot so I, I missed out on the beginning of the fall um, but I wound up playing on the junior varsity football team and uh, then in my sophomore year I was fortunate to be one of three sophomores to make the varsity and uh, you know played on a really cool team with um, uh, well Biff Pogey he used to be a uh, Francis Xavier Pogey. He, he was a senior. I played with him. And Wilkerson was a senior. We had a great football team. Um, and that was a great year. We won a beat in McDonough. Um, we lost the championship to Polly. That, that was a tough loss. I could tell you about that. But um, then, uh, unfortunately, junior and senior year, lost to McDonough. So all my friends over there who I had left, left. And, you know, they were sort of glad to beat me and beat us. But uh, but we had pretty good football. Um, wound up junior year, I think Calvert Hall won it, but we had a good team. Senior year was the year after the great Alex Sotir had left. I had had Mr. Sotir. I was blessed with having him coach me my sophomore and junior year. Um, senior year, we had a coach named Kevin Spencer come in. He did a great job. But my senior year, we wound up having a 50-50 record, and we actually went to the championship game against Polly. We played over at um, Towson. Towson, it was called Towson State back then, I believe. And uh, we lost. But so football, had had some good, I was captain of the football team, and it was a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, but lacrosse, we won that first year. <clears throat> Sophomore year, um, St. Paul's. St. Paul's won. We had some, some good 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 games. But you said St. your brothers were there, right, St. Paul's? Hmm? You said your brothers were playing at St. Paul's? or My brothers were at St. Paul's. They were a number of years younger than me. Gotcha. And they, they weren't playing, but okay. St. Paul's won. Year. And then junior year, Loyola won. 
And senior year here at Gilman, tough ending to that one. You know, we we. I'll tell you a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, that was that was we had a great team. We have a number of players on there that went on to play in college. Um, had myself, Mac Ford, Joey Seibold. Um, these are all Hall of Fame, first team All American lacrosse players. We had a great team, and. Uh, I'm pretty sure we were undefeated going into the last two games of the season. And we had to play St. Paul's on family day. It was a Saturday. And then the following week, play boys Latin. So we played St. Paul's on family day. And we were ranked above them. And we lost. Hmm. That's when I sort of should have learned a lesson that I should have sort of learned that I didn't learn, but um, you never change your stick before a big game. It was the day before playing, and uh, back then um, when you string STX, you got like the seven knots. Well, the night before the game, I restrung my stick and I double strung it instead of seven knots. It was double strung, so there's 14 knots. It looked really cool. Mm-hmm. But when we went out there that next day, it was too tight. I think that was when I shot a lacrosse ball and it went up on Northern Parkway. Um, in any event, yeah, I yeah. had a number of assists, but I, I couldn't hit the cage. But we had a bad game, and St. Paul's had a great game. So we lost to St. Paul's. Family day, all the people here. So we were still ranked above them, and all we had to do was beat Boys Latin the following weekend, Saturday, uh, Friday, Friday. And we had beaten them 16 to four earlier in the season. And it was a Friday afternoon. It was pouring down rain. I'm pretty sure the Hunt Cup or the Grand National a horse race was the next day. It was a Saturday. And it was raining. We were maybe going to call the game. Mm. But I think everyone didn't want to call the game and have to play it on a Saturday when the Hunt Cup or the Grand National was. Mm-hmm. So we played in a, in, a, in a torrential downpour, and it neutralized our sticks. Guy Matrosini, defenseman for BL, wound up playing with me at Hopkins. He was all over the field. And in any event, we lost to BL. And that was tough. And that was it, right? That was it. We lost. And be, even though our record was as good as St. Paul's, the both the News American and the Sun paper, the two newspapers at the time, they both ranked St. Paul's above us. So even though we had this great season, we lost the last two games. Especially after beating BL 16-4 to exactly. prior to that. Oh, it's tough. Exactly. Now, they loved it. I mean, I've seen their, I've seen their yearbook, you know, of some friends. They were like, oh, the best thing, beating Gilman, beating Gilman. They loved it. So hey, good for them. Good for them. Wow. Well, you had some great teams. You played with some great players here Mm -hmm. at Gilman. Dave Allen, I actually, I I got to coach with him my first year here at Gilman, which was a pretty cool experience. I I love Coach Allen. He's a great guy. So um, it sounds like a successful lacrosse career at at Gilman. Then you went on to Harvard for a little bit and then to Hopkins, and maybe we can talk. Covered 84 a solid amount already, but 85 – uh, that was another. Was that an undefeated year at Hopkins, nineteen eighty-five? Too? No, that was not undefeated. Okay. No, 
No. Um, went down and lost to Carolina. Lost to Carolina. I think that was that was their only defeat. Okay. But 85, what was cool about that, especially was I played on first team midfield with my brother John. And not too many people can say that they ran a midfield and won a national championship with their brother. My brother John was uh, three years younger than me. He actually went to Gilman. He didn't graduate from here. He wound up transferring up to Lawrenceville. Mm -hmm. But he came in as a freshman, and I was a junior. And um, my best, one of my best friends at the time, Steve Mutchler, his, his dad, Jim Mutchler, was a Baltimore Colt. Steve Mutchler, Loyola guy. Much, myself, and John, we got, we got to run midfield together. And um, um, forgive me, I said first team. Uh, we actually ran second midfield, John Krumenacher. Um, and we had a, a New York, they, they ran first midfield. The New York team ran first midfield. We were second midfield. But um, we wound up playing Syracuse again. And we beat them 11 to four up at Brown. And That's that was, domination. That was that was yeah total dom domination. Dom uh, Les Matthews actually his name's Greg Matthews, but there's a uh, great surgeon here in town, Les Matthews. Mm -hmm. We used to call Greg Matthews Les Matthews, <laughs> and Les was a goalie at at Hopkins, uh, an All-American goalie. He's a, a great orthopedic surgeon, and anyway, Les Matthews. We, you know, we used to joke with Les over a number of things, but he was into total domination. So that's where that, that started, and that was our saying for that year. Wow. Total domination. And it was just, yeah, just one loss that year, but champions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's pretty powerful when you when you got all, all, all of the guys getting in there before a game, and we all just look, and all we say is total, total. And you're looking at one another, and, and it just can move you. And, yeah. and, of course, we had the talent to back it. And... Um, it was a good year. You had some great slogans back in the in the eighties at Hopkins. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I had the T-shirts because that that week before that yeah. week before the game, you know, we we got a T-shirt. <laughs> I wish I had. So during this time when you were at Hopkins, um, <clears throat> how did you kind of figure out, along with lacrosse going on, what you wanted to do maybe afterwards? Because we can maybe talk about your career and, and what you studied at Hopkins and how you got into the medical field a little bit, if that's all right with you. That's all right with okay. me, but, um, you know, if we're going to talk about me becoming a doctor, I got that to thank my two Gs, Gilman and God. Yeah. I, I was a senior here at Gilman, and... Um, I want to say it was the encounter. I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure if they still do that. Do we they do. still have the we, Gilman encounter? We do. Yeah. You go out for like, you know, yeah. a month or the last three weeks, whatever. So I don't know what, how it came about, but I'm a senior. And um, the year before, Hunt Brawley, he graduated, went to Duke. Nice guy. He lacrosse player with me. Hunt's dad, um, Robert Brawley, was a cardiac surgeon. Over at Hopkins, and I, 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 this is why I say God. You know, I'm, I'm into God. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it came about, but somehow I got the idea that maybe I should go over and check out surgery, um, and talk to Hunt, talk to his dad. 
Next thing you know, I'm over doing my encounter where I had three weeks at, at Johns Hopkins and running around the Blaylock building. And, uh, you know, I was scrubbing. I scrubbed in, but I, I want to say I observed. I don't think I actually scrubbed in, but I was right there checking out all this heart surgery. And I remember this is one a pretty cool story is I was there and um, they had said in the, in the room next door there was some... Uh, neurosurgery going on so I remember like wanting to go in there and open up the door and there was this gentleman sitting there and he, I'm looking back he must have been waiting for an x-ray before he closed up but he's just sort of sitting in there with his hands in a sterile fashion and um, skull was still open a little bit and I went in and said hey I'm with Dr. Brawley and can I check it out he's like sure and he gave me a couple words and I walked out it was Ben Carson. No way. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. really? Yeah. Wow. It's pretty cool. That is. Wow. Yeah. And that's kind of when you... So I met Ben Carson back in the day. Yeah, during yeah. Encounter. During an Encounter at Gilman. Yeah. That's, that's a cool experience. Yeah. I doubt he's told the same story, but it's, <laughs> but it's pretty cool. Yeah. So in any event, um, I don't know, right? I just started to think that I wanted to be a, a doctor. And when I went to Hopkins, um, pre-med is a big deal over there. And I just sort of started to chip away at it and always kept in my mind that I'd be a doctor, maybe. You know, I was busy playing lacrosse, but I did the pre-med, knocked it out. It's a tough uh, balance, playing lacrosse at that high of a level and doing pre-med and neuroscience. I mean, my dad my dad told me a funny story because I told him you were coming on and... and he said one time, I think your lockers were next to each other or something one year, and he, my, da my dad wasn't, you know, a huge student, but he picked up the wrong book bag with all your books in it, and he got home, and he was like, what is this? He's reading a different language here. It's like, I have Dell's book bag. That's funny. Um, That's funny. But it sounds like at Hopkins, you kind of figured out that that was what you wanted to do, and you put in the the time investment to uh, to mm -hmm. pursue that as a career. I did. I did. I, I just sort of kept it in the back, the front of my mind that I'd be a doctor and I'd just doing the pre-med, I, I knew that in order to get into medical school, you know, I had to do organic chemistry and physics and, and all of that. So I did it. And um, there's maybe a little bit of month or two where I thought maybe I wanted to be a lawyer. My dad was a lawyer here in town, but I guess I just sort of knew I wanted to be a doctor. And um, fortunately, I was able to get into Tulane Medical School. Um, and prior to that, I, I did some research with a wonderful individual, a guy named Dr. William Bell, Bill Bell. Um, he was a great man. Um, he, he was over, he's a hematologist. He was a hematologist at, at Hopkins. And during my last couple of years at Hopkins, I did some research over there with Dr. Bell, and, and um, I'd like to give him some thanks. He sort of helped me out with uh, making the connection, getting into Tulane. Mm -hmm. You know, I had good grades, I got in there, uh, but Dr. Bell was helpful in, in making, that, making that happen. So I love him for that. Yeah, Hopkins was perfect place for you then. And uh, when you went to Tulane, what was your experience like? At, at Tulane in, in medical school. What was it like going down there? 
from being from Baltimore your whole life going down to Louisiana? It was pretty cool, you know, down in New Orleans. Yeah. Um, they gave us all of the first two years, you're in the classroom, <clears throat> second, uh, third and fourth year, you're, you're, you're doing like your, your doctoring stuff in, in the hospital. The first two years, we had all of our tests on Monday, and that was pretty cool because we would work hard and study over the weekend and then Monday we'd take the test and then you'd have 167 people running around the French Quarter on a Monday night. There wasn't a whole lot going on besides us. Mm -hmm. But that no, was nice. It was, uh, I got some great memories of, of, of being down in New Orleans, working at Charity Hospital. Yeah, yeah a, a, lot, a lot went on down there. And um, originally, uh, wanted to be a, a pediatric surgeon. And um, I could give you a whole lot of backstory to that, but when I came out of medical school, I actually did a surgical residency for a little bit of time and, and then wound up being a psychiatrist. And psychiatry brought you back to Baltimore. How, how long kind of after you finished up at med school? I know you have to do a residency, right? And then, and then you can practice on your own psychiatry is that kind of how the profession follows is that is that what it looks like I did my psychiatry residency at UC Irvine from 92 to 95 and um, and I had been going from Baltimore since I graduated in 86 so 86 to 95 I was at various places as New Orleans Washington DC California and um, in 1995, I, I came back and accepted a job at Union Memorial Hospital, and uh, that's where I got my start coming back. And I've been in town ever since being a psychiatrist. Yeah, back in town. What is, um, what is the psychiatry, for someone who might want to pursue that occupation, what would maybe word of advice or recommendations would you have for someone like how did you really choose that path of psychiatry i mean going to medical school you kind of have your options open but psychiatry is something that always interested you maybe is that mm. is that kind of how you found psychiatry is just you just figured out that was something that you were really interested in from, you know, encounter right away? Or is that, was there a specific moment that you thought psychiatry is what I really want to do? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking sometimes I've been accused, if somebody asks me what time it is, um, I build them a clock instead of just answering the question. And yeah. when you ask me a question like that, it's like, whoa, where do I start? Right, you that's know? good. So, <laughs> so, hey, we got time. Now, uh, the evolution of becoming a psychiatrist sort of happened, and, and um, it wasn't something that I just knew from the beginning. Mm -hmm. If anything, um, when I was in medical school, I um, had known some surgeons here in town, but that I just sort of always thought maybe I'd be a surgeon, and when I was in medical school, between my first and my second year, I had a great experience. I came back at Hopkins over the summer, and I, I worked under the tutelage of Dr. Alex Haller. He was a, a great 
pediatric surgeon. He's the first person to separate Siamese twins. He was a famous doc. So I came back over the summer and um, worked in Hopkins, you know, right down the street. And uh, so I thought I wanted to be a, a pediatric surgeon. And then um, he introduced me down at Tulane to uh, Dr. Moynihan. She, she was, had trained at Hopkins and she was a pediatric surgeon down at Tulane. So I went down there, did a little research with her. And I was thinking I was gonna be a pediatric surgeon. But in my third year, I fell in love with like neurology and neurosurgery mm. and um, and uh, wanted to be a neurosurgeon. So I was thinking maybe I'd be a pediatric neurosurgeon. But at the same time, I took a rotation with Dr. Dick Dalton from Duke. Dr. Dalton was a pediatric psychiatrist. And so I did a rotation with him. And um, that was different, you know, the, the neurosurgery and the surgery, you get in at five in the morning and you're a surgeon and all of that. And the psychiatry was just different. Mm -hmm. And I did a rotation on the child, child unit. Got a cute little story there. I, I, I remember like the first day that I'm, I'm, I'm working on the kids unit and there's a little kid who's a, a young little kid. And he had been traumatized, and, and I'm in there, and they said, just go in and talk to him and figure it out. So we get down on the floor, and, you know, those little GI, those little army, those little green things. You got mm -hmm. the walkie-talkie guy and the bazooka guy and all that. So we dumped him out on the floor, and he's just sitting there playing around that, and I'm trying to talk to him and asking him all these questions. And um, he wasn't talking to me. He just was grabbing little toys. He put the walkie-talkie guy in the middle, and then as I'm talking to him, he gradually took the bazooka guy, the sniper guy, and in a big circle, mm. pointed them all around to the little walkie-talkie guy in the middle. Mm. Now, you don't have to be Sigmund Freud to figure out like who he identified with. But I just remember that story, and I remember thinking, this is really neat. You know, this is like a different kind of medicine where you know, you're not operating. Um, and I could work with kids. So I sort of tucked that away. That, and, you, and, and you can get to work at 8, and you can go home at 4. So I was sort of having this dilemma back then. Yeah, different lifestyle maybe that you were considering. It was different. Yeah. Um, so I remember this. We had this surgeon, Dr. Larry Fox. Larry Fox was from Alabama. He was a pediatric cardiac surgeon and he was he was the man you know we med students knew Larry Fox <laughs> and, and he was a tough guy and uh, he would be the guy who you're there and there was a Dr. Reggie who was the um, cardiac fellow so this would be a surgeon who's had five back then yeah five years of general surgery and then like two years of, uh, of uh, cardiac to be the chief resident, and in any event, you know, Larry would be like, if 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 uh, Reggie made a mistake, Larry would be like, Reggie, please step away from the table. You are killing my patient. Please fold your hand back up, Reggie. You're killing my patient. 
So Larry Fox, you know, he, he was a tough guy and he was the surgeon. And uh, I took that rotation because I sort of wanted to do the cardiac surgery. And I remember one day, uh, four of us med students were there and, and, and Larry finally paid some attention to me. He looks at me and goes, you, young Dressel, what kind of doctor do you want to be? I said, well, sir, I, I'm... Uh, not sure. On the one hand, I want to be a pediatric neurosurgeon. On the other hand, I think I might want to be a child psychiatrist. Hmm. That makes absolutely no sense. You either want to be a surgeon or not. Uh, so, uh, uh, I just think that's a funny story. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a big, 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 you know, what do I want to do? And I wound up getting, I figured I'd go for the surgery, the neurosurgery first, and see what happened. And I, I got a residency at GW. And I did a year of uh, general surgery, and I started the first um, of six years as a neurosurgery resident at GW. And pretty cool, four months, five months. And uh, I just sort of knew that um, wasn't wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. you know, we could go way into why. You know, there was a, there was a lot of things that happened um, that just made me realize this this isn't what I want to do. So I left, and I'm sitting there thinking, now what do I want to be? I don't know. Um, and then it just dawned on me, I'd had that great experience in psychiatry, and I just went into psychiatry. So in a long-winded way, I'm sort of answering your question. It wasn't really like I'd been like wanting to be a psychiatrist my whole life or that it was my calling. It just sort of happened. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, I'm in Southern California, so, driving all over Southern California. Yeah. Uh, young, single guy, having fun, trying to learn how to surf, mm -hmm. growing my hair long back when I could, yeah. and um, becoming a psychiatrist. And, and, and it was a cool thing. What um, as a psychiatrist, what does what does a typical day look like? Like, what kind of issues or topics or types of people do you do you deal with on a daily basis for your job? What what is that like? Well, in my thirty um, almost thirty years of being a psychiatrist, I've done different kinds of psychiatry, and um, I you know have had the private practice out there and and seen people for half hour med checks where we talk about their medicine uh, once a month or you know see people for psychotherapy an hour once once a week. But for the last ten years, I, I've and 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 I'll hope to stay there for a long time. I'm I'm actually a psychiatrist out at Spring Grove State Mental Facility out in Catonsville, and I work on an inpatient unit, and um, it's 25 male patients. And um, that's what I do. Um, the patients that come to us out, out at Spring Grove, there's uh, most of them, pretty much all of them, have had some kind of legal involvement. Um, they've either been charged with what I call the junior varsity offenses, the varsity offenders, the murderers, and the, the bigger, more serious charges go to a place called Clifton Perkins. Um, there's four regional hospitals, Spring Grove's one of them, and we get the junior varsity offenders. But I like to say that some of our players could have made the varsity. You know, mm -hmm. we, we've got some tough people out there. But we have people come out who have legal charges, and they're either out there to be restored to competency or they're evaluated for criminal responsibility. And amen, that's what I do. They come in, and we have... Uh, 
different types of patients that come in, and they all have a, most of them have a legal involvement, and um, the patients stay for the most part a number of months. It's it's not like a community a hospital where people come in for three or four days, and when you're safe, you get discharged. So, uh, I like it. I like it. Um, what kind of like psychological issues do these people have when they come to you? What are some of the common issues that they are, are diagnosed with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'll answer that question. You know, as as a psychiatrist, I'm sort of instinctually get cautious when I start talking about um, what I do and the types of people because mm-hmm. um, it's a sensitive subject and I'm respectful that there's various degrees of mental illness out there in the community and so my when I'm asked a question like that my first reflex is, is to be cautious um, just because I'm respectful um, but certainly alcohol and substance abuse is out there in the world and and colors an awful lot of mental illness but um, an awful lot of the patients that come have a major schizophrenia, a major bipolar disorder. They have a major mood or psychotic disorder, and some of them sprinkle substance abuses in. Um, we certainly also have some patients who are more um, antisocial personality, where they're more have... Um, personality issues, but even there, you sort of sprinkle the major mental illnesses of a schizophrenia or a bipolar, and, and of course trauma, PTSD, that's something that can't really be underestimated how much trauma is out there and has affected people. But those are the biggies, uh, I'm sure, of a major depression, um, of course, is, is something that, that comes into play. But um, that's what comes to mind. Yeah, interesting. It sounds like, um, I mean, I'm sure it's a job. Like, it sounds, you know, very interesting what you do. I'm sure it's something that that you enjoy and uh, find fulfilling. And it sounds like you want to continue to to do that. It's um, cool. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Um, the book you brought in, maybe we can talk a little bit about the recommendation for today that you chose to bring in. What would you choose? I chose this book called The, the Spirit in the Stick. And uh, it just sort of came to me this morning. You know, you would, you would let me know that I must bring a book and you know, I don't really have that book where... I can remember reading something that really moved me in my life. Um, I was going to bring in the the complete works of Sherlock Holmes. That's what I'm reading now. And I was ready to tell you that my mom had bought it for my dad. My dad was an attorney. He was into Sherlock Holmes. And my mom bought it. And I've had this book for all these years. And I read it at night. And that's my second book to talk about. (laughs) That's on the next episode. That's the next episode. But this morning, it just came to me. It's like, wow. Spirit of the Stick. Spirit of the Stick. What's this about? Well, I'll tell you. Yeah. this is a book here, and since I'm a lacrosse player, and some people who are watching might know that I play lacrosse, I'm doing a little commercial for this book. They do now. Yeah, this is a great book. This, um, and it was pretty cool too, because I, 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 I got it out of storage, 
I haven't read it in a while, and um, opened it up in January 14th, 2007. My brother gave me this, and you know, gave me a nice little little letter there. So uh, that was cool. But this book was written by a Naval Academy graduate, and it talks about a young boy who gets a 200-year-old lacrosse stick. And I don't want to ruin the story, but it's a beautiful story. And it's only 200 pages, which is something that I can read because mm -hmm. I sometimes have trouble getting through the long books. <laughs> Even got big, big letters. Big font. Yeah, but this is, uh, it's a story of a little boy who inherits a stick that's 200 years of age and it goes back and talks about where it's been for all of these years the great you know lacrosse players like jack turnbull or doug turnbull uh, the brother jack and doug and um, jimmy lewis and some other great players in there it's just a beautiful story and i read it years ago and i loved it and i'm on page 104 when I was reading it, I was like, whoa, and my number was four at Hopkins. And all of a sudden, I'm like reading it, I'm like, hey, they got my name in there. Page 104, so I thought it was a message. What, are you one of the people who had the stick in the No, in the no, they just, no, they just put it in there as, as um, being a, a, a four-time first-team All-American. So uh, that's the book awesome. that I recommend. There are too few books about lacrosse out there, so that's... Um that's interesting. I'll have to pick that up. I'll have to get that for my dad. He likes the big font, too. <laughs> he likes the 200-page big font. I just wish there was pictures in here. Yeah. yeah there should be some. There should sure. be. Um, Dale, it's been a great episode. It's been a lot of fun talking to, to you today. Um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, and hopefully we see you at some lacrosse games this spring. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me. For sure. Thanks. See you soon. Okay.